I think this is why we, when we talk about Lutherans, we say they are conservative. Uh, what do we mean by that? Okay, so when we talk about Lutheranism itself being conservative in terms of the Reformation, what we're talking about, that's a different thing, I should say, from our introduction yeah, yeah, when yeah. we were talking about yeah. conservative Lutherans versus yeah. liberal Lutherans yeah. today. This is something entirely different. Yeah. When we talk about Luther's Reformation being a conservative reformation. Uh, conservatives are those who want to save as much as they can, to keep things the same as much as they can. And that was Luther's approach. Luther recognized that even though there were great errors in the church, this was still the church. Yeah. That God has promised throughout history, that he preserves his remnant. Luther knew there was this faithful remnant in the church. And Luther knew that even though there were errors, even though there were lies, there was still truth also taught. Yeah. Truth and lies side by side. And so Luther's view would say, well, if we throw out the whole thing, we throw out the truth and the lie. We can't do that. We must keep what's true. And Luther's measure really was we need to keep everything that serves the gospel. Yeah. And, and so Luther's approach was to say, we keep everything that is good, and we only throw out what is bad. Yeah. And the measure for what is good and bad is the gospel. Yeah. Everything that serves the proclamation of the gospel, yeah. that is everything that points to our salvation as a free gift from God, based on the sacrifice, the death, the resurrection of Christ, that we hold simply by faith, everything that teaches that, everything that presents that, everything that supports that, we keep it. Yeah. The things that block that, that confuse it, that change it, those are the things we remove. And so, is it why we have some resemblance with the Church of Rome uh, be it our cathedrals or the way we dress in the church, especially our uh, pastors, some elements of worship, is that, is that why we resemble a bit of with, uh, with Rome? That's exactly why, yes. Because the, the places where we resemble Rome are places where Luther and our other Lutheran fathers could look and say, that part does not obscure the gospel. Okay. We'll keep it. That part helps. We'll keep it. So, for, you know, you've mentioned our worship. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm sure we'll talk more about yeah. this at length, maybe not today, but the, the, the liturgy is deliberately designed to serve the gospel. The Lutheran worship service is very clearly and, and carefully designed to be a service that brings God's gifts to his people, a service that where, with the Holy Spirit working through word and sacrament, more things that we'll talk yeah, about. Yeah, sure. um, God comes to us. God gives us faith. He strengthens our faith. He feeds our faith. God gives us forgiveness. He makes us righteous. He draws us closer to himself. The, the liturgical service is, in, is focused on God serving us with his good gifts. And of course, there is a place where we respond yeah. 
in thanks and praise and blessing. But the focus is on the gospel being given to us. And so Luther looks at this and says, we have to keep this. Now, of course, with the service he inherited, there were some problems. Prayers to Mary. No, we need prayers to Jesus. The prayers to Mary have to leave. Uh, Prayers that confused the nature of the Lord's Supper from what it truly is, a gift of the body and blood of Christ, our Passover lamb, being given us to eat and drink in the bread and wine for our forgiveness. There were prayers that taught other things that obscured what that meal really is and somehow turned it into a new sacrifice. So Luther would say, well, we're keeping the Lord's Supper and we're keeping the Lord's Supper liturgy, but we're removing that wrong prayer from the liturgy. And so that he would clean it up that way. Yeah. Likewise, the, the architecture of the church was carefully designed to teach a message. Yeah. We keep it. The vestments that the pastor wears, they teach us something. We'll keep it. Two candles on the altar with, yeah. the, with the Lord's Supper, a candle to represent the divine nature of Christ, a candle to represent the human nature of Christ. Because in this supper, in this bread and wine, Christ, the divine Son of God, is coming in his body and blood, joined together in this one supper, and we have a candle to remind us of each of those. We keep it. And so there were were many things like that where Luther would look at what Roman Catholics had and say, oh, I like 90% of this. We'll get rid of the 10% that's wrong, but we'll keep the 90. And so we do end up looking to other churches we end up looking and sounding an awful lot like Roman Catholics. Yeah. And then to the Roman Catholics, we look and sound an awful lot like the other Protestants. <laughs> yeah. So we're, we're kind of in this middle area where Luther would say, well, we're in the middle because we've avoided the errors of both sides. Oh. We're on the road. Yeah. They're in the ditches. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so maybe we could say Luther is a radical concerning uh, the gospel message. Uh, he did not want to do anything with the doctrine of the Roman Catholic Church, and he was conservative uh, concerning the right traditions. Uh, everything you have said there is correct. Mm-hmm. I only get a little nervous when you use the word radical, <laughs> because when we talk about the history of the Reformation, that word has a yeah. specific meaning mm-hmm. for yeah. a different group. Yeah. So maybe we could find a different word like completely committed. <laughs> yeah. yeah, for sure. But yes, absolutely, the gospel is driving every decision he makes. Yeah. Cool. And one one more question on Luther. Uh, so we're talking about uh, the way he grew up, uh, the 95 theses, a pastoral crisis that he had. He, he talked about the demand of the law and um, the influence of the Church of Rome, say from 4th century to the 16th century. And then all of a sudden an obscure monk comes and uh, posts the 95 theses and then uh, this whole thing blows up and uh, we have the uh, Reformation. Uh, for us, uh, we say... Uh, Luther rediscovered the gospel. Yes. But there is an accusation that uh, the evangelical Christianity that we know today is an invention of Luther. We hear that quite a lot, at least here in Ethiopia. Ah. Uh, I'm curious, who do you hear that from? Uh, for example, our, to- our Orthodox brothers ah, and sisters okay. would say uh, uh, the, the, the evangelical Lutheran church 
uh, or the evangelical Christianity is an invention that came in the 16th century. So our question would be, did Luther rediscover the gospel or did he invent a new religion? Luther absolutely did not invent a new religion. Now, if we're going to critique modern evangelicals, we have yeah. to understand that is a broad term and there are many denominations claiming that label. Yeah. Yeah. And there are many things among some of the other evangelicals that are new inventions yeah. with, with that time period, but certainly not for Luther and the Lutheran church. And you know, we've talked about going into the, the confessional yeah. writings and studying them. And that's one of the places where we'll start to see this is one of, one of the things that Luther and the other Lutherans do as they are defending the truth that they are teaching is to point out how the Lutheran beliefs are in agreement with the Christian church of history before them. And so very frequently we will see Luther say, this, is, this thing is true. Here are the Bible verses that support it, showing it's true. And this is not my own new invention. Look, Jerome said it. Augustine said it. Irenaeus said it. This is in line with what the church has always believed. And then next point. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he, he really, the Luther, early Lutherans really take great care to show that the things that they are teaching are all beliefs that we already had in the Christian church, nothing new. And in, in fact, the things that they are rejecting are the new things. Um, so, in, so from that perspective, no. Okay. Luth, Luther is not inventing something new. Okay. Okay. Maybe we will move on to... The broader Lutheran uh, okay. theology now. now we've Certainly. been talking about Luther for uh, quite a bit of time. Uh, so there, there was a, an interview that we were watching maybe a few days ago, and uh, there was this pastor, Lutheran pastor, who was being asked, what's Lutheranism? And he said, uh, being a Lutheran, he said, it means uh, we are evangelical, uh, we are sacramental, uh, we are confessional, and he said we are liturgical. What do we mean by that? If you can help us unpack this. Certainly. I would have to say that pastor did pack in an awful lot with those four. Mm. Uh, I would say, if I was asked what is a Lutheran, I would just say a Lutheran is someone who believes what the Bible says mm. the way the Bible says it mm. and leave it at that. Yeah. Um, but for this, uh, so starting with evangelical. Yeah. Uh, evangelical is that English term is really just a der uh, derivative in English language off of the Greek word for gospel. Okay. So to be evangelical is to be gospel-centered. And in the beginning, this is what we Lutherans called ourselves. Okay. Luther did not, of course, whoever said Luther did not want a new church. Yeah. But even when he was excommunicated from the Roman Catholic Church and forced into a separate church by them, even then he didn't want it to be the Lutheran Church. That wasn't his choice. Luther and those with him called themselves evangelical. They're, 
And that, that is what separated them from, from Rome. These, this group of Germans were gospel-centered. That's what it meant to be evangelical. Okay. It was actually the, the Roman Catholics who called it Lutheranism because they, they labeled Luther a heretic. Yeah. And so Lutheran, you're a follower of the heretic, is what that <laughs> meant. And it's only as this label was forced on that eventually we just accepted it. Yeah. Well, everyone calls us Lutheran. We must, you know, we, we called ourselves evangelical, but then the group leading reformations in Switzerland yeah. called themselves evangelical. The splintered Anabaptist groups off from them tried to claim evangelical. The mystics that were out there on their own called themselves evangelical. And so we finally started saying, well, evangelical doesn't, if everybody, if everybody's evangelical, evangelical really doesn't mean anything. And so the term, the term ended up losing a lot of its significance. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, in, in today's world, you have evangelicals and neo-evangelicals who are nothing like Lutherans. And so the term has different meaning now. But originally, and as we used it, and as this Lutheran pastor was using it, it simply means we are focused on the gospel. That everything we do is all about the gospel. That's what it is to be evangelical. Um, I think the next term you mentioned was sacramental. Yeah. This is one that ends up bothering quite a few non-Lutheran folks yeah. and even some who are Lutheran. First of all, because this term sacrament is not really in the Bible. Mm. Um, the English word sacrament simply comes from the Latin sacramentum, which was the Latin translation of the biblical Greek mysterion, yeah. which just means mystery, yeah. the mysteries of God. Now, we, the term ended up being used by the church to label those things, those mysteries of God, wherein God is working through earthly elements okay. to give us his grace. It's a term that's not fully agreed upon. Mm. The Roman Catholic Church still uses the term, but they have a different definition. Okay. Uh, where it includes things like marriage, for okay. instance. Yeah. Uh, many of the other Protestant churches choose not even to use the term. Some Protestant churches still use the term, but then they define these sacraments simply as commands or ordinances from God that we have to fulfill. But for us as, as Lutherans, what we recognized early on is that the God of the Bible, our God, the one true God, is a God who chooses to work through instruments or means. He chooses to work through earthly elements uh, in the things that he accomplishes. And we, we see examples of this throughout the the, the scriptures, you know, uh, well, what can we do? Noah and his family, you know, the, the entire human race had turned its back on God and become entirely evil, except for Noah and his family. 
And so God says, Noah, I'm going to save you from this evil generation. I'm going to get rid of all of them. Now, God is all-powerful. He could have just simply snapped his finger and made every person disappear, except for Noah. But he doesn't do that. Instead, he uses normal earthly means. He floods things. He uses water. And he saves it. But still, he could have said, okay, Noah, I'm going to flood the whole world and get rid of all these people and wash it clean. And then he could have just magically lifted Noah up off of the earth, flooded it, removed the water, put Noah back down. But he doesn't. He uses the normal earthly means of a large boat. So God uses normal physical means to accomplish this incredible miracle. Or think about the the children of Israel out in the wilderness. They're out there complaining against God again. (laughs) And so God sends poisonous snakes. The people start getting bitten and dying. And they realize... They run to Moses. We're sorry, we're sorry. We realize we sinned against the Lord and he sent these snakes as a punishment. We realize now we were wrong, so please tell the Lord to take the snakes away. God could have done that, but he doesn't. He tells Moses, build a copy of a snake. Have someone make a copy of a snake out of bronze, a little statue of a snake, and put it up on a pole. And... When anyone is bitten by a snake and they look at that, they will be saved. Now, God didn't have to do that. God could have just said, okay, Noah, tell the people, or Moses, tell the people when they, when they are sinning and they get bitten by a, by a snake, when they realize that they are wrong and they simply have faith in their heart, I will, I will heal them and they will not die. He could have done that. Yeah. But instead, he has a physical thing. And it's an act of faith to look at this physical thing. Because we all know a statue of a snake doesn't heal people. Uh, if it did, we'd all be healthy <laughs> forever. Everyone would build yeah. snakes. Uh, so, but, it, but God had a promise to it. And it's faith that says, this metal thing that can do nothing will save me because of God's promise. So God uses this physical element for... A, to. to for an act of faith to, to save people. And, and there are many, many other examples we could use. Yeah. The scriptures are full of these examples that a God who could choose to only work spiritually, a God who could choose to work purely mystically or magically, instead, consistently, regularly, the real God chooses to use earthly means to deliver his gifts. Um, New Testament's no different. Think about Jesus with the feeding of the 5,000. You've got this huge group here. They're all hungry. Jesus is all-powerful. He could have just said, all right, all of you, on the count of three, you will feel full and have no need for food. One, two, three, boom. And there they are. Everyone has a full stomach. He could have done that. He could have just simply removed their need for food for that day. Or he could have said, I'm going to rain down bread and fish from heaven for everybody and made them just magically appear. But he doesn't. He takes the lunch from a little boy and uses that to grow and multiply and feed all the people. He chooses to use this instrument. This same God 
chooses to use instruments to deliver his grace to the New Testament church. And so when we look at the commands and the promises of Jesus for the Christian church, how it is we become Christian, how it is we receive forgiveness, how it is we receive faith, how it is that we are connected to God, we see consistent promises that God is still, like he has throughout the history of the Bible, using these things, instruments or means. And he tells us the primary instrument or mean is his word. That Bible that you have open right here on the table is the power of God unto salvation. When this is preached and proclaimed, that hearing creates faith. We have these promises in the Bible. But then Jesus also tells us we are made to be Christians through, along with the teaching of this word, baptism. Yeah. Peter tells us baptism is for forgiveness and it gives the Holy Spirit as a gift. And with many more promises that this ritual washing using earthly water delivers the Holy Spirit gives forgiveness, makes us to be born as children of God. So we say, oh, that's a sacrament. That God working through his instruments. That's where we see this word. You want a mystery. How does a little water turn you into a holy child of God? There's a mystery. And we see Jesus do this again. Yeah. He takes plain, simple, earthly bread and wine. And he gives us this promise. He says of this bread, this is my body. He says of this cup of wine, this is my blood. He says, take this, eat it, drink it. This is for your forgiveness. Again, we see consistency. Here is our God doing what he has always done. Just like, well, you know, again, the Exodus. You didn't need that Passover lamb. He knew the hearts of the people. He could have just said, Okay, everybody, I'm sending the angel of death to wipe out the firstborn of the Egyptians. You don't have to worry. I know who you are. I know you're my children. Just relax. I've got this covered. But instead, he, he doesn't do that. He doesn't just say, well, I'll read your heart and this, my spirit will work. He says, go get a lamb. Kill it. Paint the blood around the door. Roast it. Eat it. He uses this meal. He uses this lamb as part of this salvation from slavery in Egypt. Well, here we see Jesus, who John the Baptist tells us is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The one that Paul tells us, this Christ, our Passover Lamb, has been sacrificed. This is the one, this Jesus, this Lamb, says, here, this bread, this is my body, take it and eat it. This cup of wine, this is my blood, take it, drink it. It's poured out for you for your forgiveness. We see, oh, the God... This Christ, Jesus Christ, the God of the New Testament, he works the same way as he did in the Old Testament. He's using means with us, just like he used means with the people of Israel. This is a... Now there's another mystery for you. How can this bread be the body of Christ? That's a mystery. But Jesus says it is, and I believe him. And so we take this word that means mystery and say, well, here are the mysteries, the instruments that God is using to give us salvation, to create faith in our hearts, to make us to be children of God. 
So to be a sacramental church is to recognize that the, the God of the Christian church is the same God of the Bible who still works through means just like he does throughout Scripture. Yeah. And so to be a sacramental church, we see God at work in the Word. And when the pastor stands in the pulpit and preaches, he's not just an academic lecturer giving information about God for people to think about. But as the ambassador of Christ, empowered by Christ, he is proclaiming the living, active, powerful word of God, a word that cuts sharper than a two-edged sword, a word that accomplishes what God has sent it out for through this man's voice. And it, it is a real powerful spiritual thing to be a sacramental church is to recognize that, okay. uh, to recognize that in baptism, God is giving us birth as children of God. In this meal of bread and wine, Christ, our Passover lamb, is giving us his sacrifice, body and blood to eat and to drink for the forgiveness of our sins. Mm. It is simply to recognize that our God is still working with us today just like he says he does in the Bible. Mm. That's what it means to be a sacramental church. So uh, Many people ask uh, concerning this, the sacraments, uh, can God accomplish spiritual things or spiritual blessings through physical elements? He tells us he does, and I believe him. Yes. Yeah. That's great. But to finish unpacking your yeah, terms, yeah, yeah. and of course we're going to have to have talk a lot more yeah, about yeah. these sacraments. Sure, yeah. And so I, I answered you very, blu- yeah, very yeah. briefly. Oh, God says he does, yes. We'll talk about that more yeah. for sure. Yeah. Uh, but to finish unpacking briefly, I'm not very good at brief. I know you know that. But <laughs> very on, briefly, these others, um, to be confessional and liturgical yeah. were your other two terms. Yeah. To be confessional is simply to hold to our confessions, which is going to give, get us into another whole talk about yeah. what the confessions are. Um, you, I think you said Book of Concord yeah. in our introduction. Yeah. Yes, that is the, the title of our Lutheran confessions. This is the Book of Concord. Uh, this is a collection of writings that the early Lutherans put together saying, this is what we believe. Some churches do this, some don't. We did, very early on. And we can go through that later, piece by piece, what are all the different parts. But the the bottom line for us is that very early on, we established what we believe as a church body. And we put it in writing. And we still stand behind it. And so to be confessional means we still believe what we originally said we believe. We still hold to those same writings that we've had for 500 years now. And so, and it's, it's a blessing for us because these confessions stand as a marker for us of what it is that we, that, that we do believe and stand for as a church. You, you know, society, well, you mentioned the changes right from the beginning. Uh, not just confessional Lutheranism, Mm -hmm. but conservative Bible-believing Christianity is changing uh, and becoming something different. And and we we see church bodies that used to believe one thing, now they believe something else. 
And very often it's, well, not very often, I think almost exclusively, it's the changing world around them that is pushing them to change their beliefs. So before the the world wars, post-millennialism was the cool thing among Protestants. And this idea, with that came the idea that humanity is progressing and getting better and better and more holy and more holy. And when we perfect ourselves and perfect our world enough, then Christ will come back down and live with us. Well, then we had two world wars that showed we're not progressing. We're actually really good at being evil. Uh, There's a lot of hatred and violence and wickedness in the world. And so all of a sudden, these post-millennial churches just kind of disappear. In modern times, what we're seeing churches as Western and really in a lot of ways, what I'm talking about is what's happening in the modern Western yeah. world. And you know, Lutheranism is part of that. Yeah. But in the, in, as the Western world has gotten more and more liberal than, I would say, Marxist progressivist, um, that society has changed. The churches also. So churches that used to hold to a very strict, clear understanding in Scripture that said, for instance, uh, women are not to be pastors, as society pressure, as society and feminism pushed and pushed and pushed against these churches, the verses didn't change, the yeah. Bible didn't change, but now all of a sudden we have many churches that have women pastors. Yeah even though their own church bodies said, no, this isn't right, but now suddenly it's right. Um, We've seen churches that used to hold clearly to scriptural verses saying that human sexuality is a gift from God intended only for one man and one woman in marriage for life. And now we have churches that say, well, let's forget that for life part. Yeah. If you want to divorce and remarry, we really don't care. Uh, we have churches saying, eh, we're not really worried if you want to even get married. As long as you love each other mm-hmm. and you're committed together, just live together. We don't care. Or even if you're not living together, as long as you love each other, it's okay. Oh, and now it's not even just one man or one woman. Maybe it's two men or two women. The Bible didn't change. Yeah. The verses haven't changed. Society changed, and Western society, as it changed, pressured the church, and the church chose to change with it. Now, the beauty of a confessional Lutheran church, and not all Lutheran churches hold to their confession, but a confessional Lutheran church has a little book there that says, wait a minute, if you're going to claim to be one of us, you have to believe what we still believe five what we believe 500 years ago and that puts up some strong barriers against this change and so that's a real blessing to us i can say without doubt that i preach and teach the same theology that luther did yeah. i've got it written down for me i can check and so it it, it serves as a you think of it as the, the fence around the compound. Yeah, yeah. It keeps us inside the compound. Yeah. 
uh, if we if we're moving outside of Lutheranism, well, our, our confessions are written down there to show us no, what you're claiming is not what Lutherans believe. Yeah. And then liturgical. Again, uh, I, I touched on this a little bit earlier, yeah. so I'm not yeah. going to say a lot about it now. I think we'll probably end up discussing it in detail, yeah. God willing, some other time. Yeah. But we understand that when we gather together Sunday morning as church, we are gathered for God to come to us to work through his means of grace. There's that sacramental yeah. stuff again. And that that attitude of our coming together, that belief of why we are gathered together is best served by our liturgy. The groups that gather together on Sunday morning and they gather around the praise band that puts on a good show and they're gathered around in exciting speeches that encourage them to make the right decision and an opportunity for them to come down and make their profession. Those are all things that are focused on what the human beings are doing, on how the human beings feel what emotions are being brought up in the people gathered together and what decisions the people are making and what actions the people are going to take. The liturgy, on the other hand, is, oh, well, our liturgy is about 95% straight word of God scripture. Mm-hmm. What the pastor says, what the people say, both mm-hmm. verses pulled right out of the Bible. So it's, it's not focused on what I feel, it's focused on what God's word says. And it's carefully arranged in a way that reminds me that me on myself, what I do, I'm a sinner, and I get it wrong. But God in his grace comes to me through his means of grace and forgives me. And the liturgy is set up to do that, to deliver the gospel, to keep us focused on the gracious work that God does for us. Whereas many of these other worship forms are really designed to focus on the people. Mm. And what the people do is ultimately work. Yeah, That's not evangelical. That's work righteousness okay. or works focused. Yeah. So is that a fair enough yeah, unpacking yeah. of yeah, the four yeah, words? Yeah. Because I can talk for the next yeah, two yeah, hours yeah. if you'll it's let good, me. It's good. It's good. Uh, we're happy about it. And uh, I, I just wanted to ask you, with regard to confession in the way you were explaining uh, if we, let's say if we did not have any kind of confession, do, do, do you think we would have the writings of Luther or the writing of our Lutheran forefathers? Do, would, would we have it to this day? If we did not have this fence, would we have a genuine gospel at least among confessing Lutherans today? We would in the sense that God has always promised to preserve his remnant. There would be some among us who would still be holding to that and preaching that same gospel. Uh, There would be some among us who would see the truth in God's word, even amongst other error. But history also shows us that if we don't have this strong fence... Human pride likes to wander. Human pride likes to do its own thing. And and this is one of the things that happened with the medieval church. They had the writings of the early church fathers. I mean, they had their Bible. But then they had the writings of 
Irenaeus and Clement and Jerome and Augustine and all these others, others that Luther quoted. They had the same teachings. But then along with those, well, there's also some error. And there are also other people teaching other things. And what you, what you end up seeing, if you really start digging into the theology of the medieval Roman church, the truth was there. But there, were also, there was also error there. And human tendency tends to elevate the error. And so if we didn't have the confessions, I, I suspect we'd end up in a similar situation. Oh, we'd still have Luther. We'd still have Chemnitz. We'd mm. still have Gerhardt. We'd still have good writers, but we'd also have other writers who bring in some error. You know, we'd have we'd we'd still have uh, Spainer and Franke who were uh, in a very Pietistic, you know, the the fathers of Pietism who pushed back to human effort and human work and a focus on the human heart rather than a focus on God and His work, and we would probably elevate them more as. And we see this. There are pietistic branches in the Lutheran church that push the confessions aside and elevate their pietistic writings. Uh, we would certainly have, you know, in the, in the American church, we had, uh, uh, well, not even American yet, we, but we have Schleiermacher, uh, who runs off in some, some liberal areas. Uh, we have in, the, in American Lutheranism, uh, early on, even before the American Revolution, back in when it's just colonial days, we had, had many Lutherans coming and say, we're in a new world with a new time. Lutheranism needs to change with the new world, and this is who we are now. Um, so, you know, Samuel Simon Schmucker was a name in American Lutheranism that does this. And we would have those. Mm. And human nature likes to say, yes, we're new, we're special, let's do this change. Um, I, and I think we would, where we would be now, we would find ourselves where the medieval Roman Catholic Church found itself. Truth with error, the error predominating, but a remnant holding to the truth. I, I think we'd be in yeah. the same, same boat today without the confessions. And we see this happening with many of the liberal Lutheran yeah. churches in the world today.